Welcome to Your New Life Blend. I'm Shoshana Hecht, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by one of America's leading personal finance experts, Farnoosh Tarabi. Farnoosh is the host of the extremely popular and award-winning podcast, So Money, 30 million downloads and counting, and is the author of multiple books, including the just-released A Healthy State of Panic, which we will definitely get into. With degrees in finance, international business, and journalism, Farnoosh is a sought-after speaker, and you have very likely seen her on The Today Show, Good Morning America, and live with Kelly Ripa and a variety of her co-hosts since Regis. You've read her in Glamour, Marie Claire, Oh, The Oprah Magazine, and more, helping audiences understand and unwind the multi-layered issues around our money stories and empowering us to have more of what we want, including money, and less of what we don't on our journey. So money is so your new life blend. In a healthy state of panic, Farnoosh shares more of her own story and journey in a part memoir, part guidebook to help us all learn how fear can be a superpower to achieve true wealth and career success. I am beyond thrilled to have her as a guest on my podcast today. Farnoosh, welcome to your new life blend. Thank you, Shoshana. Oh my gosh, you that was quite the throwback to Regis Philbin. But yeah, I was very lucky to have crossed paths with Regis Farnoosh, Farnoosh Tarabi, author of You're So Money. Oh my God. The echo of that voice in my house for the, you know, because my family had quite the, the time with that special moment. I mean, yeah, what an icon. So basically, I'm an old person. Basically, no. I've been around the block. Yeah, I'll say it. I mean, I'm not old, but you know, I've I've been doing this for 22 years. And I just think how lucky that I am that I figured out what I do enjoy doing early on. I know that's not most people's paths. But to the theme of your podcast, I think that the, the key is to always be evolving. And a friend of mine, she likes to call me Farnoosh the Parlayer. You don't do hard pivots, but you parlay real well, which I guess means I'm really good on my feet and I'm good at like taking failures and bringing them into like the lessons of a failure or the lessons of just like maybe something that wasn't what I thought it was going to be into the next adventure and always looking at life through this lens of experimentation as I am the daughter of a physicist. Thank you for all that. An amazing tee up. I would say you're experienced and you have capitalized on the experiences of your life. An evolver, right? Like to have taken all the things fully yeah, let's get into it. On the show, we talk about designing your life with intention and using all the tools and barriers, which I mean, mm-hmm. I think was a lot of what this book touches on, but how to really use all of that to evolve and parlay our journey, right? Which I think is really at the heart of what you were just saying. So tell me a little bit about that parlay, what happens, how that has helped you. You know, going back to the theme of the book, so a healthy state of panic is about how fear can be a friend. We all experience fear. We've all heard the mantra, be fearless. We think that because we've been told and conditioned that being fearless is courage. Mm -hmm. And I've never been able to be totally fearless. And I think that's okay. And honestly, I think that's my recipe for success. Can anyone really afford to be fearless, which I define as walking through like without any concern for risk, feeling as though they can afford whatever outcome happens. Mm. I think few people can actually afford that as women, as you know, whether you're anyone who's ever been othered or is a minority or has never seen themselves represented in their industry, their community, their religion. Like I just think fear is such a privilege. To be fearless is such a privilege, but also being fearful is a great tool that 
that we have never really been taught how to have patience with, how to harness. And so for me, parlaying has been an act of, I think, addressing my fear of uncertainty, my fear of failure. I write about these two particular fears in the book. Every chapter is dedicated to a particular fear. And so had to talk about the fear of failure, probably my lengthiest chapter because I've had all the failures. And then the fear of uncertainty too. I think when those fears show up, the instinct is the wrong instinct, the unhealthy thing that we tend to do is to assume that, let's say with fear of failure, that we did something wrong. This is a reflection of our lack of capability, our lack of ingenuity, and we really internalize that failure where I say, actually, there are, of course, things that you can do to help to ensure success, but there are so many external factors. Could it be that you were set up for failure? Could you be fearing a failure in a in your career or in an any other realm because you're just not seeing how it would actually be possible to be successful because the system is not working in your favor. There is not a support system. You're not being given the right tools. You're not being given a seat at the table. If you succeed in that environment, you need to be studied. I think for me, when fear shows up, it's usually my internal system saying to me, try to look for the wins and try to look for the lessons from whatever you're experiencing now into the next thing. Failure, the fear of it can keep us stuck as can the fear of uncertainty. We think that that's what the fear wants us to do, which is do nothing, change direction, go backwards. To abandon. Abandon. Yeah. This is something you talked to so beautifully is the fear is it's information, right? It's data that we can actually make use of my favorite word, right? Discernment, right? Like what is the right, what is the right move? And it's not just one. It's not just stop. It's not just abort, abandon the path, right? Yeah. Usually it's asking you to take inventory of what you are capable of, what your values are, what you care about. You know, fear shows up because usually it's trying to ask us to protect something. What is that something? And I think when you should and shouldn't listen to fear is an interesting question. I think in the book, I talk about these really high stakes moments that involve money and our professional lives and our personal lives, where making a decision at a crossroads will have consequences. And it would be important to take a minute to listen to fear as it may be telling you, hey, you need to maybe be more vigilant about something, or you want to be extra careful about something, or this, if you go down this path, you know, there are going to be certain trade-offs. Are you okay with that? Fear is is an opportunity to constantly learn more about yourself, constantly turn inward, which I think honestly, at the end of the day, that's the best place from which to make a decision. There's so many pressures, external factors. We're being pulled in a million directions. There's comparison culture. And so we lose ourselves. We lose our sense of what it is that we actually, actually care about, our sense of purpose, our sense of direction. These things sound easy to figure out, but they're not. But I do think that listening to fear can be a shortcut to that. Yeah, I agree completely. You, you just caught my note. I just took for myself, which is like that whole comparison trap, the comparison yeah. culture. And I think that really fuels this this um, pressure to be fearless, that whole fearless BS thing, which I don't know anybody who actually is, but there is something about like programming about, you know, you have to be fearless before you can do anything or you have to be whatever before you can do anything, which just leaves you doing nothing, right? I don't think we give ourselves enough credit when we say things like that to say like, oh, Mm -hmm. I did it without fear. Or if you see someone who's doing something that is presenting as fearless, like look, getting up in front of an audience to speak or throwing your hat in the ring for Mm -hmm. a promotion, maybe going against the culture and doing something, going against your religion. It does take a millisecond, a thought, because we are so afraid of fear. Yeah. Oh, 
Right. The idea that like, yeah, you actually can interrogate whatever comes up for you and get into and like wrestle with it and really decide and actually make an active choice about what you do with that. I think that's so spot on. We don't allow ourselves that permission because I don't know why the programming, the messaging, the bodily sensations we have around it. Look, I think we're evolving and I think we're in a place in our culture and where the science is going, where the um, attention in the fields of science and psychology are going, where we're like, our emotions are pretty complex. It's not either you have fear or you don't. Mm -hmm. It's not whether you have happiness or you don't. I feel like your emotions are a continuum and I think we're now starting to see how all the emotions deserve space. All the emotions, they're personal to us. They tell a story. Why not pay attention to those stories? There was a study out this year actually across a number of academic institutions that looked at people who looked at emotions, experienced emotions like fear, sadness, and anger as those who thought they were bad versus those who thought it's neutral, or I think they're actually healthy or potentially positive. Those that have a more healthy relationship with these sort of negative emotions that we've branded in our culture are happier. Hmm. Why is that? Because ultimately to be happy, you have to be really clear and good with all the feelings that you have. Oh, yeah, You're not someone who's denying yourself. And that includes you're not denying your emotions. You know, I think only till recently we were like grieving is important. Mm -hmm. Expressing your grief mm -hmm. is critical. Whereas, you know, I think even for me, as I grew up, I was always like, don't cry. Why are you crying? Boys don't cry. Mm -hmm. I hate that, right? We, right. We, we shut down and we think we're doing it in service of people's pursuit of happiness. And, and actually, it just ends up making that grief and making that sadness and making that fear bigger yeah. And you get to a point where you actually can't personally deal with it. You, you need to get outside help. Right. And, you know, there's a saying that people in my circle like to say, which is like what we resist persists. Right. Yes. Yes. And so it's like awareness is the first, in my view, is like the first step in making any kind of change or coming to terms with anything. Right. It's honoring your life story. Mm -hmm. You know, when I think about some of the moments in my life as an adult, when I get maybe irrationally afraid of mm -hmm. things related to like my kids or, you know, even just the idea of like going ice skating or, you know, like. I didn't grow up able to do a lot of the things that my Western friends and neighbors could do without thought. Like I wasn't allowed to date. I wasn't allowed to go on sleepovers. I wasn't allowed to eat sugary cereal. I wasn't allowed to like watch Punky Brewster. Yeah. And so as an adult, I have an intelligent brain. I have a lived life. I have, you know, a modern take on everything. And so I'm not my mom and I'm not my dad. But there are moments where those those adolescent fears resurface. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I'm going to act on it, but it is sort of a, a nod to like where I came from. Mm -hmm. And it either makes me laugh in retrospect or makes me help process the trauma better. Mm -hmm. So I think that while not all fear can be a tool to get to the next level in your right. life, I think even just the exploration of where that fear came from, which is something that I recommend people do, especially when they have fear of money. I think that's the big question with the fear of money is like, where did you come from? And FOMO too. I think when we experience the fear of missing out, a lot of that is from like a wanting, but it's maybe rooted in something that um, we caught from an external influence and it's not really ours. 
So I think it's important to go down memory lane with your fears because it's ultimately just an opportunity to get to know yourself again in a deeper way. Mm -hmm. I love that how in the book, and I want to just do this for the listeners, how you name all the fears, like their chapter headings. Um, Because one thing that I clued into really quickly as I went through the book is like the interconnectedness of all of them Mm -hmm. and how they fuel that. So do you want to just go through that a little bit with us? So this isn't the encyclopedia of all the fears. I'm sure there are nine more and maybe that's the next book, but Uh um, I landed on nine different fears that I felt were the juggernaut fears, certainly the ones that I've experienced and still. Mm -hmm. And they go through sort of a chronology in the book where in terms of organizing the book, we thought, wouldn't it be interesting to kind of look at fear as it evolves in our human lives, Mm -hmm. where in the beginning, as you're young and kind of going through adolescence, the fears of rejection and the fears of loneliness and FOMO begin to really arrive and take shape. And then we get into the real world and we're independent and things like the fear of exposure, the fear of uncertainty, the fear of money. Then we get into the fear of failure, the fear of endings, which is a a very diverse chapter where we look at not just uh, the ending of, of lives, although that is where I begin, but also the ending of other really important experiences and relationships in our lives, like yeah. the end of a relationship, the end of a job, the end of a business. And then the last chapter is the fear of losing your freedom, mm-hmm. which I define as my autonomy, my agency. And the book also takes us through the characters in my life, people in my life that influenced me, my parents, my grandmother, my brother, my husband, my children. And you get to meet us. And there's an added layer of personal story that sort of is the thread through the book. And you're following these fears, but you're also following the family to see where they land and how fear has actually been this very sometimes helpful, sometimes not helpful emotion, how we've grappled with it, how we've reconciled it, how we've learned from it, how we've grown from it. And it's an homage to my immigrant parents Mm -hmm. and their fears and the ones that even predated them, like their parents' fears. And um, I think fear can be a great legacy in a family where I think I have now arrived at a place where I'm seeing the benefits of fear that my parents handed down to me. It wasn't always something that I appreciated and it wasn't always something great, but I think I've extracted from that what I want to keep and what I want to pass down to my kids. I mean, that's just so powerful and beautiful. I mean, fear as a compass, as a guide, and also as a barrier, right? Yes. Um, But the unpacking of it and the weaving of it, I've referred to this with you as the memoir of service, right? Because Mm -hmm. it is really beautiful, powerful stories of love and support. And also, again, what what holds us back or unwinds us and you unpack it and also make offerings woven in here of like how we can harness our fears as a tool, as a superpower for having comfort and security and stability, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. These are not sexy words. (laughs) I've never been sexy. I've never been like the hot girl and I've never, and I'm okay with that. Like, I want for not the newest, coolest outfits. You know what I mean? Like I've never bought into the sort of consumer culture, although I love shopping. But I mean, I guess my point here is that in the financial world where I've spent all of my career educating people and learning myself, Mm -hmm. 
I think that our culture glamorizes wealth so mm-hmm. weirdly. Mm-hmm. You know, we we think wealth is like all the show and tell of wealth. And I think like at the end of the day, it comes down to security. It comes down to feeling safe, using your money as a tool to provide you with this independence mm-hmm. and agency. And it's not flashy. It's not easily Instagrammable, but it is ultimately um, the thing that we all want. And yeah, and I think fear is how we can recognize the importance of these things and then go after them. Right. And yes, security, stability, or whatever it is for the individual person. But I think I think what I hear you saying in that is how do you name it for yourself? Like what is important to you and how you use the red light of like whatever that fear is flashing at you to actually discern that, name it, and make sure that it's at the root, at the foundation, it's supporting whatever it is versus money for money's sake, right? Yeah. The work is the introspection that is required that mm-hmm. only you can do, but mm-hmm. fear is a prompt Yes, to get ourselves to ask these questions. And in the book, I provide all these different self-inquiries with fear, depending on what fear we're talking about. And I say, you know, ask fear this, ask fear that. But really, it's like you're asking yourself these questions. It's not as impossible as you think. It's not that hard to figure out what's important to you. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself the question? That's right. I always like to say, slow down to speed up, right? Because I think it really helps clear the path. It helps get all the distractions and extra stuff and stuff that's actually not in alignment with your values or what you want or where you're going, but is other people's story or whatever sexy, flashy stuff they're putting out that, you know, it just pulls attention and pulls focus off your own path. But yeah, that fear can really lead to that clarity, right? Yes. Yeah. Why do you think just leaning into your money expertise, why is it so, I don't know, taboo and anxiety producing? Yeah, so many layers. I think one layer of it is that we associate so much of our sense of self-worth to our net worth. Mm -hmm. And so for those of us who have not the money, and that's most people who live paycheck to paycheck, the fear is really about if I start talking about money out loud, I'm going to get into my shortcomings my weaknesses Mm. because I don't have as much as I want. I don't have as much as I think people expect me to have. Mm. I should be further along. What does that say about me? That's one piece of it. Another piece of it is I think that, gosh, it's, it's polarizing. You know, when you think about who is having these money conversations, it's very specific. You can picture him. You can picture the guy, (laughs) the men in the room, you know, the sort of like the boys club, And so many of us have not been invited to Mm -hmm. that. And so inadvertently, we come to this conclusion and directly we come into this conclusion that like, I am not part of that club. I must not be, I'm not invited and I feel excluded. And so you don't feel prompted. You're Mm -hmm. not prompted to learn. We don't also prioritize financial literacy in this country. I don't know why. I don't know why, but it's just this ongoing catastrophe. Uh And I think as women... We have been going back to this like concept of not being invited. We've been told so many things as young girls that would mean like this is just not for us. You know, first of all, the girl math thing that's going around right now. I'm just, you know, on TikTok, like girl math, hashtag girl math. Like I'm not I don't know. So tell me. Well, it's just, you know, something like I bought. Oh God. I went to Target and spent two hundred dollars. But really, I thought it was going to be three hundred dollars. So I'm saving money. Hashtag girl math, oh, you Lord. know. 
And um, I really don't watch them because so I don't have the best examples. So I stopped watching them. But that one's pretty essentially, good. it's like perpetuating this myth that girls, girls are not good at math. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the examples they use are like incorrect and really focus on shopping mm-hmm. and consumerism. And I just think, okay, here we go again, like mm-hmm. painting this picture of the dumb girl who's never going to get money. And we're doing it to ourselves yeah. at this point. And I've told this story on a different episode of this podcast, but it's like fits right here too. To your point, there's like a pervasiveness and a soaking in it for all of us, including like, you know, we had niece and nephews a couple years apart, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, bar mitzvah. And her, we gave her theater tickets and him, we gave him money. Mm. And after that happened, I was like, my husband and I were like, somehow it just like it hit us. Like as we were writing the whatever the check we're like what are we doing this is terrible but we also were like uh it was like a big slap in the face for me Farnish, because even me who's all about like intentionality and Mm -hmm. owning your worth and you know educating yourself standing your power etc etc still subconsciously just did this thing i was like okay yeah yeah I know it happens to the best of us. And yeah. I mean, I've been the woman who hit her 30s with her own business and no secret was the breadwinner in my marriage because I'd written a book about it. Um, and I read about this in the book, how I had felt as though I could not want for more because that would mean sacrifices I wasn't willing to make, that I didn't think that being a woman who protested to want to be rich and really, really, really successful, more successful than she'd already gotten, that that was going to be a liked thing, that I was going to be, I thought, I feared that I would end up alone and rejected and that it would cost me my time and my relationships with my husband and my kids and all the things because I didn't trust that I could like actually try to improve my financial life without overextending myself. And this was, you know, a a fear worth focusing on and kind of exploring and unpacking. And what I discovered is that, first of all, this has perpetuated this myth, this fear, like fear and myth is sort of like they're two peas in a pod, but I didn't see it modeled. And so why would I believe that it was possible? And honestly, I was told really dumb shit growing up about what women should do and shouldn't do. I would go on dates in my 20s and first dates would never turn into second dates. And I'll never forget, I was at work after one of these dates talking to one of my coworkers, a very nice man who was married and had kids. And he was like my work husband at this point. And he's like, so tell me, how was your date? And I was like, it was good, but I don't know if we're going to hang out again. Like he didn't seem very interested. He's like, I want to ask you something. What are you telling these men on the first date? Like, are you telling them that you have this really nice job? Are you telling them you own your own apartment? Are you telling them that you have ambitions. And I'm like, well, not not right away, but like, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's come up. Okay. And she, he's like, well, that's where, you're, that's where you're going wrong. You need to just kind of be the demure one on the mm. date because these men are not going to feel like they can be in a partnership with you. They're going to be wondering like, how are they going to support you? How are they going to protect you? How are they going to be a man for you? And I was like, are you kidding me? Okay. Thanks. No, thanks. I mean, I grappled with that. It was really deflating. Mm-hmm. It's nauseating. Uh, yeah, but and it is. It was extremely exhausting to show up on a date and try to push down who I was. And it wasn't until I was said to myself, Farnoosh, I'd rather be alone than live a false life, live a life that is not true to who I am, to pretend all the time. Like that actually is more terrifying than never getting married. And when I when I committed to that, my world opened up. It really did because I never cared again. And ultimately, I did meet someone. And ultimately, 
we are married now for over 10 years. So I don't think that could have happened, though, had I not at some point used that fear to see what it was telling me about myself and my past and how I was allowing this myth to force me to play small and force me to reject myself. And force you to live on other people's terms as a right? right. The actual fear in the room was from the men yeah. who feared themselves, their inadequacy, their egos being shattered in the company of a woman who knew who she was and wanted for things. And I was misinterpreting that. I was feeling the fear in the room mm -hmm. and I assumed that it had something to do with me when it had everything to do with them. And that's where I went wrong. But, you know, once I sat with it and I actually talked to a money coach about it and she helped me kind of pull myself out of that vortex and, and like look into it and be like, this is the crazy sitcom you're living, lady. <laughs> like, you know, and you've cast yourself as the lead, like get out of here. Canceled. Season canceled. You know, the pilot is over. And really like, you know, underscores what you've done, I think, in this book and over the course of your career, right? Which is like taking a story, a fear story that was detrimental to you, your happiness, you living your life on your terms by your design and excavating it, right? Mm -hmm. So you could actually like decide what was going to work for you, you know, and, and meet yourself there. I don't know. I feel like I could keep going forever and ever. It's like endlessly fascinating to talk, talk about anything else you want to make sure we tee up on this. Hmm. No, I, I'm just so happy to be here. I'm so happy everyone's listening. And I am just really relieved <laughs> that this book is done. And my hope is that I can stop making funny reels about it and that it will just um, kind of catch its own wind and like, you know, it will be shared and it will become the thing that takes on a new life of its own. Like a happy parent. Everyone wants that for their kid. I mean, like you said early on, like fear is not going anywhere. And just the way you talk about it in this book and weave it with your stories, I feel like it's endlessly useful. Thank you. I do think the book has a long tail because it's like so much of what holds us back around money and living the life we want to is these fear stories, right? So yeah, I'm rooting for it. Thanks, Shoshana. Where can we find you, Farnoosh, and follow along and support you? And, you know, we're going to put it all in the show notes. Well... I have a podcast called So Money <laughs> that has been going on for almost nine years. It's three days a week. You can find it at somoneypodcast.com. And the book, of course, is available hopefully in all the places, certainly online. And you can learn about the book at ahealthystateofpanic.com. And if you are on Instagram, so am I. Mm. That's where I like to hang. <laughs> I'm in the DMs often. So you can follow me there at Farnish Tarabi. Send me your questions. It's where I collect a lot of questions for the podcast. On Fridays, I answer people's questions about money and all the things. Hmm. And come say hi. It is an extremely fun follow. Um, follow along on your Instagram and and big fan of So Money. Like, it's so good. Thank you. We love it. Um, okay. Well, thank you for being here and sharing so much of yourself and your story with us. And thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Shoshana Heck. This has been your new life blend. And I'm reminding you, as ever, to be gentle with yourself. 